Matthew, chapter 24, verses 23 through 51, verses 23 through 26. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christs, and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before. Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chamber, believe it not. Burkett notes, The Jews had all along cherished in themselves a vain expectation that the promised Messiah should be a temporal deliverer that should set them at liberty from the power and slavery of the Romans. And accordingly, Christ declares to his disciples here that immediately before Jerusalem's destruction, several persons, taking advantage of this expectation, would make themselves heads of parties and pretend that they were the true Messiah, who would save and deliver them from their enemies if they would repair to them and follow after them. Hereupon our Lord cautions his disciples against such false Christs and false prophets, and bids them believe them not, though they did never so many great signs and wonders, and promised them never such glorious deliverance. Learn hence that the church's great danger is from seducers that come in Christ's name and pretend to work signs and wonders by his authority. 2. That such is the power of seduction and delusion that many are carried away with seducers and false teachers. 3. That the elect themselves, if left unto themselves, might be seduced, but divine power guards them against seduction and delusion. They shall be deceived, if it were possible, the very elect. Which phrase imports not what the event would be upon the elect, but the vehemency of the endeavors of seducers, namely, that they would do the utmost that they could to shock the Christian and cause him to fall upon his steadfastness. Verse 27. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Burkett notes, There's a threefold coming of Christ spoken of in the New Testament. One, his coming in a spiritual kingdom by the preaching of the gospel among the Gentiles. Two, his coming to destroy Jerusalem 40 years after his ascension. Three, his final coming to judgment at the great day. All these comings of the Son of Man, for their suddenness and unexpectedness, are compared unto lightning, which in a moment breaketh out of the east and shineth unto the west. Learn hence that the coming and appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ to the judging of the wicked and impenitent sinners will be a very certain, sudden, and unexpected appearance. Verse 28. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. Burkett notes. If the coming of Christ be understood in the former verse of his coming to destroy Jerusalem, then by the carcass in this verse are to be understood the people of Jerusalem and the body of the Jewish nation, and by eagles are to be understood the Roman armies who carried an eagle in their standard. These were the instruments which Almighty God made use of, as his rod and scourge, to chastise and punish the people of Jerusalem. Learn thence that the appointed messengers of God's wrath and the instruments of his vengeance will certainly gather together, certainly find out and severely punish and plague an impenitent people devoted to destruction.
where the carcass is, the body of the Jewish nation. There will the eagles, the Roman soldiers, be gathered together. Verses 29 and 30. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from the heaven, and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Burkett notes, Our Savior goes on in figurative expression to set forth the calamities that should befall the Jewish nation immediately after the destruction of Jerusalem. The sun shall be darkened. That is, all their glory and excellency shall be eclipsed. All their wealth and prosperity shall be laid waste. The whole government, civil and ecclesiastical, destroyed. And such marks of misery found upon them as never were seen upon a people. By the sign of the Son of Man, the papists will have understood the sign of the cross. Others understand it of those prodigies which were seen a little before the destruction of Jerusalem which Joseph mentions as, namely, a comet in the form of a sword hanging over the city for a year together, a light in the temple and about the altar, seen at midnight for half an hour, a cow led by the priest to be sacrificed, calved a lamb, a voice heard in the temple saying, Let us go hence, learn hence. God premonishes before he punishes. He warns a people of destruction often before he destroys them once. Verses 30 and 31. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Burkett notes. Then shall the tribes mourn. That is, then shall the Jews be convinced that their destruction was the punishment of their sin in rejecting and crucifying Christ. And accordingly, they that pierced him shall behold him and mourn over him. Thus it was before the destruction of Jerusalem, and thus it will be before the final judgment. They that pierced him shall be brought before him. Lord, how will the sight of a pierced Christ pierce their souls with horror? They who have not seen a pierced Christ in the sorrows of repentance shall hereafter see him in the sorrows of despair. To behold Christ with the eye of sense hereafter will be very dreadful and terrible to all those that have not beheld him with an eye of faith here. And he shall send his angels with the sound of a trumpet. Those that apply this to the destruction of Jerusalem by the angels understand the ministers of the gospel, who by the trumpet of the word did bring in believers throughout all Judea, who were saved from that destruction. Those that understand it of the general judgment Take it literally, that Christ, at the great day, will send forth his holy angels and gather all his elect to himself with the sound of a trumpet. Probably, as there was an audible sound of a trumpet at the giving of the law, so there shall be the like sound of a trumpet when Christ shall summons the world to judgment for transgressing of that law. A joyful sound will this be to the friends of Christ, a doleful, dreadful sound to the ears of his enemies. Verses 32 to 36. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When its branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. So likewise, ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, 
This generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Burkett notes, Here our blessed Savior declares two things with reference to his coming. One, the certainty of the thing itself. Two, the uncertainty of the time. The certainty of his coming he sets forth by the similitude of the fig tree, whose beginning to bud declares the summer at hand. Thus, when they should see the aforementioned signs, they might conclude the destruction of their city and temple to be nigh at hand, and that some then living should see all these predictions certainly fulfilled. What Christ foretells shall certainly be fulfilled, his word being more firm than the fabric of heaven and earth. Observe, too, the uncertainty as to the precise time when this judgment should come. No angel in heaven nor creature on earth could determine the time, only the glorious persons in the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Learn, one, that all things are not revealed to the angels themselves, but such things only as it concerns them to know, and the wisdom of God thinks fit to reveal. Two, that the precise time of day of judgment is kept by God as a secret to himself. He will not have us know that hour to the intent that we may be upon our watch every hour. Verses 37 through 41. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken, and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken, and the other left. Burkett notes, In these verses, our Savior declares that Jerusalem's destruction and the world's final dissolution at the great day would be much like the destruction of the old world, and that in two respects. One, in regard of unexpectedness. Two, in regard of security and sensuality. How sensual and secure was the old world before the flood. They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. That is, wholly given up to sensuality and debauchery, and did not know of the flood's coming. That is, did not consider it till the flood swept them away. Thus was it the destruction of Jerusalem, and so will it be in the end of the world. Learn hence, one, that as the old world perishes by infidelity, security, and sensuality, so will the same sins be prevailing before the destruction of this present world. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be when the Son of Man cometh. Two, that the true reason why sinners are drowned in sensuality and given over to security is this, because they do not believe the certainty or consider the proximity and nearness of an approaching judgment. The old world knew not of the flood's coming. Strange, when Noah had told them of it a hundred and twenty years together. The meaning is, they did not consider it and prepare for it. To such as are unprepared for and unapprehensive of death and judgment, those evils are always sudden, although men be never so often warned of them. To such as are unprepared for and unapprehensive of death and judgment, those evils are always sudden, although men be never so often warned of them. 
But to such as are prepared, death is never sudden. Let them die never so suddenly. Verses 42 through 44. Watch, therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched, and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not the Son of Man cometh. Burkett notes, Here we have the application made by our Savior of the foregoing doctrine concerning the certainty and suddenness of a future judgment. Watch, therefore, always, not without intermission, but without giving over, that ye may be not only in a habitual but actual readiness for my appearance. Learn hence that it is the indispensable duty and ought to be the indefatigable endeavor of every Christian to stand upon his watch in a prepared readiness for Christ's appearance, both for his coming to us and for our going to him. Watch always, for ye know not the hour when the Lord cometh. Verses 45 to 47. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household, to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant, whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you, that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. Burkett notes. These words may be applied in two ways. One, to all the faithful servants of Christ in general. Thence learn that for a person to spend and end his days in the service of Christ and doing his will gives good assurance of a blessed condition. Blessed is that servant. Two, to the ministers of the gospel and special may these words be applied. And here observe, one, the character and duty of a gospel minister. He is the steward of Christ's household to give them their meat in due season. Observe, two, the qualifications requisite in such stewards, faithfulness and prudence. Who then is that faithful and wise steward? Observe, three, the reward issued to such stewards as answered these qualifications. Blessed is that servant. Learn hence that the ministers of the gospel are in a special sense the stewards of Christ's household. Two, that faithfulness and prudence are the necessary and indispensable qualifications of Christ's stewards. Three, that wherever these qualifications are found, Christ will graciously and abundantly reward them. Our faithfulness must respect God, ourselves, and our flock, and include our integrity of heart, purity of intention, industry of endeavor, impartiality in our administrations. Prudence appears in the choice of suitable subjects, in the choice of fit language, in exciting our own affections in order to the moving of our peoples. Ministerial prudence will teach us, by the strictness and gravity of our deportment, to maintain our esteem in the consciences of our people. It will assist us to bear reproach and direct us to give reproof. He that is silent cannot be innocent. Reprove we must, or we cannot be faithful, but prudently, or we cannot be successful. Verses 48 through 51. But, and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he is looking not for him, and in an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
Burkett notes, Our Lord in these verses describes an unfaithful and negligent steward and denounces the dreadful sentence of wrath hanging over him. He is described, one, by the character of infidelity. He believeth not Christ's coming to judgment, though he preaches it to others. He saith in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming. Two, he is described by his hatred, envy, and malignity against his fellow servants that were more painful and faithful than himself. He begins to smite, at least with the virulence of his tongue, if not the violence of his hand. Three, by his associating with the wicked and strengthening their hands by his ill example. He eateth and drinketh with the drunken, that is, as their associate and fellow companion. Thus the unfaithful servant is described. Next, his judgment and sentence is declared. Observe two the tremendous judgment that shall come upon unfaithful stewards. 1. Christ will surprise them in their sin and security by coming in an hour when they look not for him. 2. He will execute temporal vengeance upon them. He will cut them asunder, or hew them in pieces, as the Jews did their sacrifices, that is, separate their souls from their body by untimely death. Hence, some observe, that God seldom suffers slothful, sensual, wicked, and debauched ministers to live out half their days. 3. Christ will punish them with eternal destruction also, appointing them their portion with hypocrites. That is, with the worst of sinners, they shall have a double damnation. As the hypocrite has a double tongue, a double heart, and is a double sinner, so shall he undergo a double damnation. Learn hence, that such ministers as neglect the service of God and the souls of their people, as they are ranked among the worst of the sinners in this life, so shall they be punished with them in the severest manner in the next. When Satan destroys the souls of men, he shall answer for it as a murderer only, not as an officer that was entrusted with the care of the soul. But if the steward doth not provide, if the shepherd doth not feed, if the watchman doth not warn, they shall answer not only for the souls that have miscarried, but for an office neglected, for a talent hidden, and for a stewardship unfaithfully administered. Woe unto us if at the great day we have distressed souls, roaring out their complaints, and howling forth that doleful accusation against us. Lord, our stewards have defrauded us, our watchmen have betrayed us, our guides have misled us. <laughs>